Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the final hour on this Wednesday is here. OutKick 360 continues across the OutKick network. Glad you're with us. 6th and Peabody, our location, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad tweeting away at uh, someone away. who hates the fact that we're not saying oh Jameis Winston had a great season despite throwing uh, 30 picks. Austin G. Austin, says, uh, settle down. There's also someone that I, I, I dare even engage in a back and forth with, with because their name is Author of Jameis, one-on-one oh. on, one on one or something. They, they've dedicated cool. an entire account. To worshiping Jameis Winston, which that brings up other psychological issues. Yeah, is it Jameis? That we're not going to get into. It's not. It's not Jameis. Oh. This is not a Jameis burner account, to my knowledge. It's the GM of of the Saints. No, I don't think. I don't think it's that either. Um, thank you for your contribution, though, Davey. I appreciate that. Austin yeah, G. It'll be a while before we come back to you. Austin. Austin G. On uh, on Twitter says um, the year that he threw thirty interceptions. He also had 33 TDs and 5,100 passing yards. The guy can really put up put up some numbers. <laughs> yeah. And I responded. I Positive said. Positive and negative. You do understand that 30 interceptions all but negates all of those yards, right? Because interceptions are huge, game-changing plays. So if you're throwing interceptions and falling behind because of said interceptions, right. when you rack up all these yards – and touchdowns trying to come from behind, that's not really helping your case. He then responds and says, well, sure, but he had some good company in 2019, guys. Jared Goff was third in passing yards, but 22 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. And good old Phillip Rivers was fourth with 20 interceptions. To which I responded and said, do you understand the gulf between 30 and 16 and 30 and 20 when we're talking interceptions, the NFL. It's a lot of interceptions. That's a big gap. That's not close to the same as 30 interceptions. Uh, Jameis Winston sucked that year. He was terrible that year. And now author of Jameis is saying, we're getting to the Hall of Fame territory now, Paul. Get ready for this. Paul is a Hall of Fame selector. So weigh in on this. No one is a Hall of Famer until they're in the Hall of Fame. That's how that works if you weren't aware. However, Jameis's resume is at his current age blows away the resumes of many quarterbacks the same age who ended in the Hall of Fame, and his 19 was far better than many of their seasons, saying the season he had 30 interceptions was far better than many of the seasons of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. All right, well, I challenge him to go find some of those seasons, and I'll tell you, Tom Brady's a Hall of Famer before he's a Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning was a Hall of Famer before he was a Hall of Famer. Well, you can divide Brady's career into three. Two or three Three. Hall of Fame careers. He's had three Hall of Fame careers through his 23 years. Uh, What was their record that year also in 2019? I think that might have been 8-8. Well, I just remember him. he he went into the final week of the season – um, 
with a chance to make NFL history. He had 30 touchdowns or yeah, he had 30 touchdowns and 28 interceptions. And by throwing two more, he became the first quarterback in NFL history to go for 30 and 30. 2019. They, they will make a 34 30 on Jameis Winston's 30. I think 2019, 30. they were seven and nine. I think author of Jameis one on one is actually working on that documentary right now as we speak. That 30 for 30 yeah. on Jameis Winston's miraculous 30 now, interceptions. He was season. also, I mean, he, he nearly, he may have done that in the final. He was right around 5,000 yards passing, too. Like, that. that's also what is remarkable about the season. I mean, there were games where he was throwing five touchdowns, and they were winning going away. And then, he, you know, the next week, he'd have four picks. Well, and again, that's that's my line about the, the stats can lie with that because there are other games where he probably threw – if you threw 30 picks, you throw a couple picks early, and you're playing – Catch up the rest of the game, and you're he racking up yards in a loss. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that happened. He threw also. 626 times. That's his career high by a lot. His rookie year, he threw 535 times. I remember us talking about that being a lot. Well, then they drafted Alvin Kamara. Yeah, and they moved on from. from he Winston threw for 319.3 yards a game. That's a lot of yards. Yeah. Like you're saying, though, they were chasing constantly. And. Uh, they, I mean, there have only been 11 quarterbacks since the merger to throw at least 25 touchdowns and 25 interceptions in a single season. So that's something. That's yes. something special. Yes. Um, it's, in fact, the, the article is entitled, We've Never Seen a Season. Yeah, it's titled, We've Never Seen a Season Like Jameis Winston's Before and May Not Again. And they detail Let's hope not. The, the full year. Well, uh, may, the may, your, may the team you hate have a season yeah. like that. <laughs> yes. May Deshaun Watson <laughs> have that season next year. Hall of Famer. <laughs> that was under my uh, – who's the coach that year? Dirk? Cutter? I'm thinking it was Dirk no. Cutter, but it was before that. No, it was Arians. You're talking about in, in, in Tampa, Oh, that right? was Risket Biscuit already, yeah. That was the year after Cutter. So they were five and eleven with in Dirk's last year, and then seven and nine. They improved by two games with those thirty picks. Um, that should be this guy's defense. They got two games yeah, better. They, yeah, and then he went on to New Orleans after that, right? By the way, uh, in, yeah. de- in defense, in defense of uh, of Davy, he sent me uh, something that Jameis one of one is the alleged burner account of Bucks GM Jason Light. I thought oh, you were saying Saints me. GM. But this is a story from so, Pro Football Network. So Jason Light Jason is Light. sitting in Nashville. Jameis, right one of one, yeah. has been Making under much scrutiny with Jameis many claiming that this yeah. is actually a burner account for Bucks GM Jason Light. We talked to him for more details. <laughs> they had a, an interview with whoever's behind author so of Jameis, So Jason is sitting in Nashville uh, while Tom Brady is on vacation. Making yeah. apologies, Making for, apologies his old for Jameis Winston to, to, and the 30 picks. Watching our show, and it's like, I got to get back into this. Let's go. <laughs> Rustin Let's go. Webster's doing the same thing for Marcus Mariota. These guys right won't now. believe yeah. the season that Jameis Winston had. <laughs> we got to get back after this argument. LSU, the, the Tigers, the Bayou Bengals, over under seven and a half wins is our theme of the preview for LSU out of the SEC today. And it's intriguing because at LSU, Having this discussion any given season is ridiculous. Like it, seven and a half at Louisiana State is a layup in most years. And now they have Brian Kelly. They, less than three years ago, won the national title. 
15 and 0 season. They are 11 and 12 overall since then. And Brian Kelly enters. There have been the college football, um, the daily guys who cover teams that say, Brian Kelly went to LSU and he immediately inherited more talent than what he had at Notre Dame. Now, keep in mind, when they're saying this, LSU had, what, 36 players yeah, under was, scholarship yeah, that were still left un- around? Under, under 40. They started a wide receiver at quarterback in the Texas Bowl. That would have been a good over-under. Kelly's there. Denbrock joins him, uh, coming from Cincinnati to be the offensive coordinator. Jaden Daniels from Arizona State has transferred in. Uh, he was, he's been there a few weeks before spring practice got underway. He can run. And that's... So that's, that's why he's starting. That's why he's starting, and that's what they need. They need some some dual threat, and they're going to need a quarterback that can get, get out of the pocket and do some things because offensive line, the big question mark, can they come together? If, if they do, nine wins can be a ceiling for this group. And if the O-line struggles, they're probably looking around six wins. So seven and a half is, is the mark in Vegas, and if you start to go down their schedule and think what could be they open the season against Florida State at the Superdome on September the 3rd. They have a senior running back um, who's back eligible, and em- Emory, who was academic. The academics were a question mark in 2021. He's eligible. And they're switching up their defense a bit. They're going with a three-man front on defense. Ojolari, B.J. Ojolari, is their top pass rusher. He's coming off of seven sacks last season. And uh, he's playing at linebacker. Baskerville is a tackling machine uh, on their defense. They're known for their secondary. They're replacing quite a bit of pieces in their secondary. But they're known for being DBU. And a lot of those pieces are now in the league. They have replaced those weapons in the secondary with transfer portal. They brought in a guy from Oklahoma State. I believe a guy has transferred from Arkansas. um, They have two transfers from Arkansas in in the secondary. So... They open Labor Day weekend, and the question is, against Florida State, Who uh, th- there's an intriguing element to that game, too. Brian Kelly, I believe, at Notre Dame, has game plan for Florida State each of the last two seasons, if I'm not mistaken. So he knows this roster that they're taking on better than Florida State would know the newcomers at LSU, for sure, uh, based on the fact that you can look at a roster from last year and only 35 or 36 guys remain from it. What do you say, Chad? Over, under, seven and a half. And we're doing this based on the premise that you have just enough money to make you nervous, whatever that number is, and you have to bet one way or the other to double your money. I'd go over because the track record of Brian Kelly. I think he finds a way to get to eight, even in year one. It's an eight and four type team. There's tons of question marks about this team. I was reading the uh, the Athlon Sports preview, which always has the anonymous coach quote, which usually drives me insane when it's overly negative. I'm thinking, oh, you went to a rival coach that wants bad press out there about this team. But it was interesting. The anonymous coach, coach on LSU said, basically, there's a lot more talent left behind by Ed than people want to talk about. You know, even with the 38 guys that were still on scholarship that stayed through everything, there's some talent in there that's coming back that he's going to inherit. Brian Kelly's talked about, there's a reason I left Notre Dame for LSU because I'm coming to a place 
where I can win a national championship. Not that Notre Dame hasn't done that, but that's the expectation. And I'm in the best conference in America. And he gets to coach there now. Um, the test doesn't start in year two when you're Brian Kelly leaving a football blue blood like Notre Dame for another one in LSU. LSU is 11 and 12 in the last two years after going undefeated and winning a national championship with Joe Burrow and Ed Ogeron. They also just fired a coach who won a national championship less than two years before. So keep that in mind with how we rate the job Brian Kelly's doing. Pressure starts right away. This is not an ease into it. You're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Don't worry about it. Go 6-6 six and six in year one and build from that. And I know Brian Kelly doesn't see it that way. I think it's an 8-4 and four team. I would take the over on 7.5 going into it. I like the familiarity with Florida State. Interesting first week game with one coach in Mike Norvell who was considered someone who could have been fired a year ago based on performance that's very early in his tenure at Florida State still that's going against a guy in year one at LSU. Um, overall, it's the depth of talent that's not there. They've got high-end talent at LSU, but with everyone that left, it's not quite there. That's why I think starting Jaden Daniels is the right play. Brian Kelly is more comfortable with a mobile quarterback he gets that in Daniels. Unfortunate that Miles Brennan stepped away from football because he'd be a nice backup option to have if things don't work out with Daniels. They don't even have that now. I'm taking the under. It seems to hinge on that Florida State game, right? Because I, I just wrote down the the wins. I come up at seven instead of eight, and I don't have Florida State on there. But what do I know? Uh, you know, I I think. Uh, look, I agree with all this. He's got a lot of talent and all of that. But you look at some of the numbers from last year, and they strike me as things that will take some time to get better at. 113 fourth-quarter points, uh, six teams running for 140 or more against you, only 13 takeaways. I don't know that you get a quick fix on all of that. At once the offensive line being really bad, and you're counting on a freshman and Will Campbell to be a big key at, at fixing that. All of those together sound to me like things that take time in, in the course of a coaching change and that aren't light bulb moments. So I, I, I'm taking the under, and I think it's right at seven and five. I think they I have the too. number right. And the season for the over-under for this conversation hinges to me, Chad, on two games, Florida State and Tennessee. Yeah, that's a big one. Florida State and Tennessee. Early October. I think they split those games. I think LSU splits those two games. And LSU is equipped to play in the SEC because they win games in the trenches. Their defensive front will be the, the, the staple, I believe, of this team. They are going to be stout up front on defense. They always tend to find pieces in the secondary, and they have guys that can see ball, get ball at, at linebacker. In the trenches on offense is where the season is determined, though. Can they give the quarterback, if it's, if it's Daniels, if Nuss, Nussmeyer is, is interesting because he lost reps whenever he injured his foot early in camp, and those reps went to Daniels. So Daniels has taken advantage of that. Whenever Nussmeyer is, is able to get back in on a, a regular basis and get full reps and actually earn some playing time, when they need an arm... Are they going to look his way? Um, because I, I think it's it makes sense with running back questions and the way the offensive line is playing. You want Jaden Daniels in there for his mobility, and he can also be, in essence, an, an, another run back, a running back for you on some key downs where you're just trying to to extend the change. 
But if they don't, uh, if they don't find a, a solution on offense up front of the offensive line, if they don't give their quarterbacks time to pass to Kayshawn Boutte, then they're they're in a world of hurt because they have talent, they have studs at wide receiver. They need time to give their quarterbacks to stay in and deliver the football, or just move out and deliver the football because that was a huge, uh, a huge problem last year. That while they're bringing the guys back, that that could be good and bad. Yeah, I think you nailed it too on on Florida State, Tennessee at home right this year in the, in early October, two huge games for Brian Kelly uh, in year one. I think he's unlucky I, that they're early. That y- both of them yeah, are early. And look, maybe maybe I'm overrating Brian Kelly's effect, but I, I know Notre Dame people. The longer you get away from it, it's oh well, this and this wasn't always right. Bottom line is, dude did a lot of winning. Uh, Notre Dame. He's done a lot of winning everywhere he has been before. Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Um, he is a road scholar compared to Ed Ogeron. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Ogeron, great, charismatic, over-the-top football guy, perfect for the Bayou. Not going to be a great head coach anywhere else in America than LSU. And it fell apart quickly. After he caught lightning in a bottle with Joe Burrow and that team, Jamar Chase, everyone in that group. So I just, that's a huge step up in coaching acumen. I'm just thinking that great. From Ogeron to to Kelly and getting the most out of talent and developing talent and having a plan and a system, it is light years better going from him to Brian Kelly. I'm just thinking that great Coach O clip. Hey, you guys be quiet back there. And, and then, and, and then they like were. They said it again. Hey, I said be quiet. Yeah. All right. Next question. It's a grunt. It's like a cartoon. Yeah. Jaden Daniels. The other. The other factor. Like he has regressed. His best college year was his freshman year. So you can point to all these numbers. numbers Seventeen touchdowns, two interceptions. His freshman year, and uh, last year as a junior, ten touchdowns, ten picks. Um, can he get back to what he does best, and can they get the most out of him? And then Brooke and, and Kelly get him on the move with better receivers. Boutte is awesome. Um, and he was injured with a, an ankle, I believe, late yep. last year. So um, they're, they're, this, should, this should be the only time we have a conversation about over under seven and a half for LSU. Yeah. So enjoy it while it lasts, if it lasts and, longer than this season. And if what I'm saying comes true and they win eight or more this year, look out. Because yeah. now we're talking about eight and four is so going to be LSU's worst year under Brian Kelly. I'm on under, and I, it's I'm it's go based it. it's based on uh, I I think the the number is perfect. I'm taking seven. Chad's taking eight. I'm seven. Yeah, and I, I think they split the games between Florida State and Tennessee. I'd I think really, they lose I, them both. I'd really like that Tennessee game in Baton Rouge to be an 11 a.m. kickoff. <laughs> Can <laughs> you get an 8 a.m. kickoff? Yeah, I got a feeling it's going to be like that ESPN you know what? We're eight, gonna, 8 15 Central Time, 9 o'clock. We're Eastern. announcing the Pac 12 merger. We're going to have uh, the 9 p.m. kickoff in Death Valley. We're going to do something a little bit different this year. Uh, we've lost Sun, the Pac 12. Sunrise. Night, so we're going to go SEC after dark and start at 11 yeah. p.m. Central. Meanwhile, Chad's rooting for sunrise games. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's like a European rave in Baton Rouge that night by 11 p.m. It's going to be amazing. No Pac-12 discussion when we come back. David Hookstead from OutKick is going to join us. We're going to talk Big Ten, and we will go around the conference a bit. We'll talk Ohio State and Michigan, and also Notre Dame and 
the money that they would be taking to stay independent versus what they could make if they joined the Big Ten. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. Coach O oh, bringing us back. He favorite. comes in the end with the, all right, questions. <laughs> Just goes right back to it. Then he goes again. Right, I'm ready. I'm having they, a press they conference. They don't stop, though. And then he gets really angry. David Hookstead, I've never seen the man angry. Second Very time, happy, happy second time on, the, on the show here. Outkick.com. He's uh, crushing it uh, at the site. You can read his work there. Uh, we're streaming live there uh, each day as well. And he joins us now. David, great to have you back on, man. How are you? Good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. Very excited. So help me with the, with the money angle here. So if Notre Dame stays independent, I, saw, I was reading your work that the 60 million, I believe, per season annually from NBC to stay independent. Reports are uh, each, each university and each program is going to get upwards of 100 million in the Big Ten. How do you make that work? How do you say, you know what? 60 million sounds pretty good. We're not going to join the Big Ten. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The report initially came from Sports Business Journal, and the argument was Notre Dame wanted 75 million, which again isn't even close to the hundred you're going to get in the Big Ten. And NBC kind of said, no, we'll do 60 because we don't care about games against Navy or some of these lesser tier games on your schedule. From a logic standpoint, I don't know how anyone can square we'll take 60 instead of a hundred unless they might have an ace up their sleeve and they think we can eat the 60 short term for a few years. And then maybe we come back to the bargaining table in 2026, 2027, whenever. And we're in a much stronger position and prices have gone up. That's the only thing that could possibly make sense. And I'm looking at what the Big Ten is pulling off right now with their media rights deal, David. And I'm looking at the the SEC who... It looks like it's going to be about $300 million, $250, $300 million a year less than the Big Ten for the next decade if they stay in this. And I just keep coming back to they're just not going to allow that to happen. Something, something's going to happen after the dust settles with the Big Ten contract where the SEC is going to re-up. Do you think that there's a route for them to do that now that they're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma? And overall, what, what do you think about the comparisons between those two deals, between the two conferences? Well, I would make two points on it. First, to the Texas and Oklahoma, I don't know if the ESPN contract, which is going to be for $700 million, uh, when it's all said and done in 2024, has automatic escalators for Oklahoma and Texas joining. I would assume something has to be done. Because to your point, Greg Sankey, who saved football in 2020, is a smart guy. He's just not going to let this happen. He's not going to tolerate it. Now, if there are no automatic escalators, if there's nothing that automatically kicks it up, I don't know what ESPN is going to do because now they're getting a huge discount when you look at what the Big Ten's getting. 
As for the Big Ten, that deal is going to pay, as we just said, a billion minimum, a little bit more is likely. But more importantly than the money, you have now three networks, Fox, NBC, and CBS, that are going to air games all day. And that means they're incentivized to promote the Big Ten around the clock as to where only ESPN and ABC are incentivized to really promote the SEC because that's their crown jewel. David Hookstead, our guest on OutKick 360. Ohio State ranked number two in the country, the AP Top 25 uh, in the preseason poll. Alabama number one. How close are they to Bama? Because there is, a, to me, a big drop-off from number one and number two and the rest of, of the pack, which is crazy to say at this point. But talent-wise, to me, it's those two. Are they on the same level as Bama, or do you think they actually are second-rate to Alabama right now? I I would say until proven otherwise, there is a considerable gap until we can figure out whether or not Ohio State's defense is capable of stopping, you know, a leaky faucet. Because we watched Oregon go into Columbus last year and torch them. Now, they've made some changes But again, until we know whether or not that defense is going to be able to actually play at an elite level, I don't think you can compare them to Alabama. Having said that, Ohio State's quarterback, C.J. Stroud, could end up being the first pick in the NFL draft. They have talent at wide receiver. They have talent at running back, although they did lose one of their running backs to a knee injury. Offensively, they're going to be able to score on anyone at will. But defensively, if they can't stop anyone, then they're going to be in big trouble like we saw last year. So, David, I'm having a hard time figuring out what exactly Penn State is right now. James Franklin, we know, did a magnificent job at Vanderbilt. I think he's done a very good job at Penn State overall, but the results have not been great the last couple of seasons. Yet, there was some outrage about Penn State not being in the AP Top 25 when that poll came out. Do you feel like they're a Top 25 team, and are they a bit underrated with this, this latest poll? Yeah, I thought they were a bit underrated. I wrote about that. You can check it out at outkick.com. And the main reason is this, the returning Sean Clifford, I think the two most important things in college football, who's your head coach, who's your quarterback. You can figure out and piece things together from there to at least be competitive, at least win seven, eight games a year, which again, might not get you in the top 25. But Sean Clifford, not a superstar, but a good Big Ten quarterback. James Franklin, to your point, we know he can coach. So I don't like Penn State being just on the outside looking in. I think they should be in that 23, 24, 25 range. That's just me. I'm a Big Ten guy. I would expect when it's all said and done, Penn State's going to be ranked when the season's over. We we were playing with this question earlier. What's the, what's the span that it's come from the top six? Huh? And the top, the yeah, champion's the, the been top. from the top six AP uh, that has gone on to win the title. I mean, we – and really, the it's, whole of, yeah, and it's not even really the top six. I mean, I think we know it's Alabama, four. Ohio State, or Georgia. Who's right? who's your team if somebody's coming from outside the top six that you think could miraculously win a college football title this year if we're playing in imagination land? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like it, that, is, that is a great question. I feel like USC – I don't want to get caught up in the hype of Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, but we know the Pac-12 isn't nearly as competitive as the SEC or the upper half of the Big Ten. So if USC can catch fire, catch lightning in a bottle and win a weak Pac-12 schedule, can they luck their way into the college football playoff and shock everyone? That, to me, would be one that I would look at. That's a really good question, Pasek. 
Could Michigan? Probably not. I don't think there's any team in the Big Ten other than Ohio State that's going to do it. And they're obviously number two. So for fun, I would say USC would kind of be my sleeper pick. So let's go to Michigan. Uh, I was surprised to see there's a quarterback battle going on uh, with what they have coming back at the position. What do you think of this team? They're, they're seventh in the AP preseason. A lot of talent coming back, obviously, in a make-or-break year. Jim Harbaugh made it last season. What is this Michigan team going into this season? I think Michigan is going to surprise people. I think they're going to be better than people expect. I think we talked about this last time I was on here. The QB position is fascinating because you have Kate McNamara, who is a veteran. He's a graduate uh, uh, position player, so he's a fifth-year guy, I believe. Led him to a great season last year, Big Ten Championship. But then you have J.J. McCarthy, who saw limited time last year, did throw five touchdowns, way higher ceiling, great athlete. And I think he's probably actually going to end up ultimately at some point taking over the QB1 role. You're going to see a more wide-open offense with him at the helm. You're going to see a more athletic offense with him at the helm. More, They're going to try to get into space way more than they did with Cade McNamara, who's essentially a elite game manager. You know, Michigan is not going to beat Ohio State again, but they shouldn't have trouble, in my opinion, with anyone else on that Big Ten schedule. I think they're going to be very good. So, David, my wife is, is from Nebraska, huge Husker fan, her entire family. What are the odds in starting, gosh, a week from Saturday, we've got Nebraska and Northwestern from Ireland. What are the odds that Scott Frost can pull off a 2021 Jim Harbaugh make it or break it type season where they make it big this year. Because clearly the way he restructured his contract, got rid of his assistant coaches, he's betting on himself this season, making it work at his alma mater. If you're hoping for a Jim Harbaugh-esque uh, 2022 out of Scott Frost, there's 0% chance that happens. Scott Frost, if Nebraska wins seven games, that's a huge victory for Scott, Scott Frost. When you look at what he's done, my issue with Nebraska and my issue with Scott Frost is we keep hearing that he's this QB, you know, whisperer. Now they have the former Texas quarterback, Casey Thompson. Why do people believe that? Adrian Martinez regressed big time under him. He drove the McCaffrey brother right out of Nebraska, who's a major recruit. So Nebraska fans, I love them. They're awesome people. Lincoln's a great place. There is zero shot Nebraska does anything close to what Michigan did last year. Zero. David, it Here's Iowa. Since 2019, they're 26 and nine. Very consistent with Kirk Ferentz. Um, and also awful on offense. I mean, for those that say defense is no longer in college football, look at Iowa. But you could also point to look at their loss and beat down to Michigan, uh, 42 to three or whatever the final score was. Their loss in the bowl game to Kentucky has Mark Stoops beating his chest at a basketball school right now. Where is Iowa going into 2022? Because last year, I think they surprised a lot of people by their consistent winning and the way they were winning games. Can they improve at all at the quarterback position and actually move the football this year? The, the biggest problem Iowa has is essentially that they want to replicate what, what Wisconsin does, which is have a really, really good defense, be able to run the ball, and then get away with not having a great quarterback. And I think what you saw last year is pretty much – the ceiling for what Iowa is and what Iowa can be. And now the problem that Iowa has is the Big Ten West is going to be better this year than they were last year, pretty much across the board, certainly at the top half. 
Iowa should be happy being an eight and four, nine and three team, especially if they draw some tough competition from the East in their crossover games. Don't bank on um, on Iowa doing much uh, more than eight wins is what I would say. And again, they're Wisconsin light. If you look at the past decade, past 15 years, and, and they were better than Wisconsin last year, but the West runs through Madison. Clemson goes from 14 in the year-end poll to four. It's kind of just default to the regulars. But um, how much better do you think they are from where they ended last year? And what do you think about DJ as as quarterback there? Are they returning to glory or are they on the way down? Well, I, I believe it was Keyshawn Johnson the other day said that Clemson's days as a contender are over. I don't buy into that at all. I think David Sweeney's a great coach. DJ, and I'm not even going to – Pretend like I can pronounce his name on live air because I'd butcher it. Uh, I he's a mystery, right? He's got the big body, former five-star recruit, former number one overall quarterback recruit, big time player. But man, was he awful last year? I think it goes back to what I've said about a lot of people. Until you prove it, until he proves he belongs and that he lives up to the five-star hype. And they were talking about being a number one pick in the NFL draft. I think Clemson will be good. Remember. They were what ten and three last season. Most teams would kill for a ten and three uh, with a bowl win. Clemson will be fine. I trust Davo Sweeney. I doubt they're the fourth overall team when it's all said and done, though. I want to say Yungalale. I've heard it pronounced. It's well, there's just, like a, there's like a hidden they, N in there with yeah, the pronunciation. It, he's right. Like Tua Tunga Vailoa. Yeah, there's a hidden a, N. Lale. It's it's like a yeah. I, I, I think I yeah. messed Yungalale? up the we uh, we at one point David just went with ukulele. Um, yeah, because it go. just looked like it. You yes. Know? Um, but uh, you know what, though? Like, if he plays well, well the country will know it. We also don't right. g- do well. Uh, I, I've got the Nico Iamaleava down, Tennessee's right. big five star recruit that's coming in. But outside of that, we're, we're not the show that goes into the over pronouncing the name in the the language it's from like paul you like, yeah, yeah like you go into the you know the south american the central american countries and say it that way uh let's go into an area i feel like you're probably familiar with as a big 10 guy because i've been told for years that kentucky is where the worst of the south meets the worst of the midwest and it's sort of the blending of both of them so i want to find out about uh, uh the the feud going Wonderful. on between john calipari and mark stoops and what your thoughts are on where you stand. Do you stand by Stoops? Do you stand I, by Calipari in this? I'm insulted you'd even have to ask. I stand 100% with Mark Stoops. I think that what Calipari did was honestly embarrassing and shameful. How do you attack a guy at your own program, in a, the, the man coaching a sport that dominates the revenue in a conference that is dedicated to dominating football, right? It's a football conference. Even if Kentucky is a basketball school, as California wants to say, football is king in the SEC, just like it's ultimately king in the Big Ten and everywhere else. And furthermore, I have a bone. I've always had a bone to pick with Calipari because in 2015, when he was in the final four against Wisconsin, which he lost, by the way, they ruined their perfect season. He talked about Wisconsin like we were just some quick practice he had to get through before playing Duke in the national title game. And that has always rubbed me the wrong way. So, 100% 100% behind Mark Stoops. I thought his response was classy. I don't know if a lot of other coaches would have been that classy, but that is so unbelievably unnecessary what he said. Uh, we were all Wisconsin that night against Kentucky in the <laughs> Final Four. 
the entire nation rallied behind Wisconsin in that game. There, there's no doubt about it, David. That was uh, that was thank you. that was one for the ages. You're welcome. Yes, David. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. And uh, no, we'll thank you. Have you? Yeah, we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, perfect. Thanks. Out, outkick.com. Check out the great work from David Hookstead and the Insult great writers David and crew. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I stand enough. with Stoops. Should have I love that right. response the same way I love Stoops' response. I, I, honestly, he's right. I, I don't think there's any. Um, I don't think there's any backing John Calipari for the comments he made originally. Right, even from Kentucky fans, they're probably like, "Why say that? Why? Why would you go there at this time with, with Mark Stoops?" I think as it goes on. I'm getting a little bit more worn out by Stoops carrying the grudge, right? If it's, if it's in a, in, and we don't know this because Calipari said, I'm just going to move on and coach my team without the clutter. Yeah. But if he's like really like calling do. him daily and he's like, Hey man, I want to apologize. Let, let's talk. Let's, you know, it you was think wrong he's to calling do this. Him daily? No. Called him once. He said he would call him again. Said I've reached out once. I'm about to reach out again. Is what he tweeted. I don't know that they've talked. Uh, I mean, do we know that Saban and Fisher have talked? No. They, they, he also didn't pick up the phone, and, and that kind of just dies and goes away. It will not go away in Lexington, though. There is, a, there is something rooted beneath the surface that went public that ticked off Stoops to re- respond the way he did. And respond the way he did and double down after Mitch Barnhart told them to shut up. He still doubled down and came back with the answer of, we didn't wake up on third base. We didn't have tradition. We built tradition. He started, he started that after his boss told, told everyone to start, stop making a big deal about it and stop taking it public. I, I think it's been a building thing with how they're handling boosters at Kentucky. We built tradition is a little much. Well, I'm paraphrasing that, yeah. Paul. Well, but, I but mean, he is right. I he's mean, say, he's he, saying we didn't. I, uh, here's what he said. No one's we, talking about Kentucky we, football's tradition. And he stresses we. We we did not inherit tradition. We we weren't born on third. And essentially, and, yeah, well, he's right. By saying that. like I did, I'm, we're not. He's admitting I didn't take over at a football school. Right. Now, if John Calipari really wanted to take the fight back to Mark Stoops, there's yeah. a lot he could say. He could say, you know, I understand what Mark is saying, and when I took over the UMass program, they were in dumps too. Yeah, but they're and I built something there and got them to a Final Four. Has he been to a Final Four? Well, uh, football. Then I I respond and say there are some who compare you to the you, you. They call you the Nick Saban of college basketball, and Nick Saban wins a lot. Yeah, it, we look at You've trophies plural at Alabama, and you have one to show for it at Kentucky. Well. That that's the that's the yeah. response to Coach Cal, and you say if you want to compare, you know, Alabama and Georgia are football programs, and we're a basketball program like California. And you come back and say, yeah, you're right. They they've won recent national championships. In right. response to John Calipari, there's a big difference there. And, and he's Kentucky, playing in their conference, and right now he's getting more booster money than Cal. And invoke St. Peter's. I mean that that's on the table to me that Calipari's referencing football tells you he's not getting what he wants. I really think, though, that the divide is NIL. I think that word has gotten back that in different dinners, whatever fundraising circuit they've been on, that Stoops is hearing from people that Calipari's been at it with, give us the money, we're the ones who can win it all, they can't, give it to us, we're going to go get another (laughs) five-star, we're going to go go to a Final Four, you know, you're just (laughs) wasting your money with the football program. It's just... 
it's like it should not have been. I mean, he brought this on himself. It, yeah. it, and I, I honestly, what, I mean, what if Calipari just comes by and says, "You know what? Just get to Atlanta one time. <laughs> Come on, Mark. Just yeah. just win the East. Prove me wrong. Show me you can do that." He probably thought either he would have a an uprising. You know, like a Saban mentioning Jimbo, it's, you probably had donations, uh, record donations for a random June Wednesday. It's also, And he probably thought, like, I'm in the Bahamas, let's get some money going. I know we have some radio listeners in Kentucky also, and they know this as well as anyone. None of this is good for Kentucky. No. That, that's, they want this flame to extinguish I mean, immediately. Kumbaya. Because none of this is good for the athletic department. As it's, long as this is happening. It's so bad that a very quiet Mitch Barnhart spoke up. I mean, we, not well. I, we don't hear from him often. And he even felt the need to uh, to point the finger at the media. And also, we'll say that if you're looking at job security, Mark Stoops' job security is better than John Calipari's, I believe, at Kentucky. Yeah, well, I guess. Who's I mean, there I, longer? Both are in pretty good shape. Who's there longer? I think that it would be Calipari on his way out before Stoops. And it's also six. Soon, three. Bronny James will only have Kentucky listed on his website, and all of a sudden, things will change. There's a new facility. That's when Calipari will decide to take another shot at the football program yeah. when he signs Bronny James <laughs> on the football team again. I've had some other thoughts. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's the time to do it. You'll Bronny, have the backing thanks, of everyone. Bronny, thanks. You could step down from the dais. Yeah. I, I'm going to address some other matters. I'd like to talk about that matchup <laughs> with Florida this past fall, but with the football team, if, if you don't mind. <laughs> Coming up, uh, we give you the headlines from the joint practices around the NFL. That's next to Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So the wide receivers that. Aaron Rodgers was calling out for the Packers have apparently bounced back with a nice practice in their uh, joint work today. So, you know, taking things public uh, from A-Rod's perspective, it helped the young receivers that were dropping passes, running the wrong routes, maybe not as focused coming off a preseason game. He called them out and said, they, we have to be better, we have to be more focused, and they snapped into gear today. So He knows. Yeah. When, they, when they need that or if they need an arm around the shoulder quietly inside, all that stuff, right? That's a big part of his job at this stage, and he knows. The Buccaneers have several newcomers to the back end of their receiving core, not Julio Jones. I'm not that, Julio's like the fourth guy right now if we're counting everyone completely healthy. And, and I thought he played well. I didn't see him the one-on-ones, Paul, like you did. But in the 11-on-11 the 11 11, two-minute drill – Julio, by the way, down the right side. Chatty's wearing 85. Yeah. And I'm standing next to somebody who goes, Who's 85? And I said, That is Julio Jones. Like, Julio just made a big play out here. It thickens him after seeing him in two. And so he looks different. It's amazing how things I always feel like if you go double digits, it makes you look smaller. Like the single digit, the single digit on defensive linemen makes them look huge to me. 
because there's oh. girth around the number. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And then a single, like if you put 85 on Julio, he looks normal as a receiver. When it's a single digit, he looks huge. That's well, always have, that's always the way so, I felt. So many small that. receivers that he kind of <laughs> he casts I, I, a shadow. He, over he looked them. very big to me today. Um, I thought some of their little guys are a problem. Um, well, there's two. Cyril Grayson. Yeah. Um, and uh, S- Scotty Miller and Jalen Darden is tiny. He's hard to find. Darden. Um, he's like five eight. He wears number one, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. He he um he's going to make this roster according to the Bucks reporters, and he's pushing guys like Cyril Grayson for a roster spot. Like right now, they would count him on the fifty three, and he's going to take one of the spots from Scotty Miller or Cyril Grayson. I have to show you. Uh, According to the two and a half weeks, three weeks. I in. did two tweets that show all like 23 one-on-one reps for the Titans DBs. Um, and I just can't get over this one by Farley where Scotty Miller made a move on him. We've been talking about Phillips, Kyle Phillips for the Titans, leaving some some defenders, you know, with the short breakoffs where a guy just goes flying by. Well, that's what um, – that's what Caleb Farley flew by, and I got a picture of him where he's almost out of the frame with the ball, you know, not from Chad to me away from from Miller about to catch it, yeah, and Caleb Farley is, you know, way the hell over there. It's just disturbing. Quickly, guys, a story that uh, broke here recently that I'm sure we're going to talk about tomorrow and uh, a lot. Uh, this from Pete Thamel. The presidents and chancellors who make up the college football's playoff board held a discussion on Monday about major college football operating under a governance structure outside of the NCAA, something we have talked a lot about. Break off, go your own way. College football is run by college football and not the NCAA. And they're now discussing that possibility. And they have to determine who's going to sit on their iron throne. Major college football is the key word. Yep. Major show tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Read along with me. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks. See ya.